Corinthians chapter 13. If you find the book in the New Testament entitled 1 Corinthians and then flip the pages over the big numbers, you'll see a large number 13. That's the chapter heading. And I'll be reading the whole of that chapter. So you find 1 Corinthians 13. And follow along then as I read. This is what Holy Scripture says. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, saints of God, would you pray with me? Father, as we ponder the circumstances of this morning, we know that it is you. I think with the psalmist, we could all say, we were glad when they said, let us go up to the house of the Lord. And so, Father, would you meet us here today? Would you give us ears to hear all that you're saying to Grace Fellowship Church? And would you give us eyes to behold wonderful things in your word? Amen. I've got a question this morning. If you know it, you can answer. But is anyone 
Has anyone ever heard of the duck test? Now, even if, even if you don't know it by that name, I'm sure you've, you've heard the formulation. Now, the formulation is, is like this. If it looks like a duck, swims like a duck, quacks like a duck, then it's probably a duck. Now, the purpose of, of a test, uh, the duck test, and tests like these are to identify qualities in a thing, and thereby you draw conclusions about that thing. I think love can be examined in this same way. When thinking about Christian love, Paul gives us six defining qualities of Christian love. Now, five of those things are couplets. He'll say something like, love is patient and kind. And then one of them is just a statement. So this morning, I want to co-opt the duck test language, and I want to present to you the love test. So the formulation of the love test this morning will be something like this. If it remains patient under opposition and even responds with goodness, if it is not self-promoting, puffed up, or grumpy, if it hates injustice and celebrates the truth, then my friend, you've got Christian love on your hands. Last week, we had the pleasure of, of listening to Pastor Paul walk us through verse 7 of this passage, and he gave us a, a gospel call to an optimistic kind of love. Well, this morning, we'll be looking at the entire section from verses 4 to 7 to, to get a, a comprehensive definition of Christian love. The first defining quality that we're given is this. Love remains calm when opposed and responds to opposition with goodness. You'll notice Paul uses that, that phrase there, love is kind and patient. Look quickly there, if you will, at that word patient. This, this is a strange word. The way we use it is not how it's being used here. This isn't kind of like, uh, you know, the, the patient of, of waiting for the bus to come or waiting in a doctor's office. You're just sitting there twiddling your thumbs, waiting for the time to go by. This, this word actually means something like remaining calm under pressure, remaining calm under opposition. This kind of patience is the kind that is expected when you're being tested or challenged or opposed in any way. I'm going to show you a wonderful example of this in the life of Jesus. If you've got your Bibles there, turn quickly with me to Mark chapter 12. Here in this passage, Mark chapter 12, verses 13 to 17, we're going to see one such event where Jesus patiently endured opposition and then responds with love. So Mark chapter 12, verses 13 to 17 says, And they sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. And they came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? You see what they're doing there in, in verse 13? 
we're told that they wanted to trap him in his words. And what better way to do that than to bring up this controversial issue of of Jews paying Romans taxes? But look at how calmly he responded to them. Verse 15. But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, Why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. And they brought one, and he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. Jesus said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. There are many accounts like this, where Jesus is approached with some false spiritual questions, some disingenuous riddle, some some poking or prodding, and he always responds gently. And when his anger is on display, it's usually against their hardness of heart. Kids, I wonder if any of you here have ever watched Wile E. Coyote and the Roadrunner. And that was a favorite show of mine growing up, right? It's, it's wonderful. You wonder, you know, how come this guy can't get dinner? <laughs> you know, the roadrunner keeps outrunning the coyote. It's, it's, it's this, this weird kind of picture of how the religious leaders, they keep following Jesus where he's going, and they're looking for different ways to oppose him. It's like the roadrunner setting up these contraptions and, and trying to, to trap it's like the coyote, rather. I saw Ryan's face. It's like the coyote, rather, setting up these, these contraptions and trying to trap the roadrunner. And that's how they approach Jesus. Yet he never blows up. He never blows up in anger. In fact, not only does Jesus not blow up in anger, he remains calm and he moves towards them with goodness. This, this takes us to the second word there. Love is patient and kind. Now, this kindness doesn't simply mean be nice. The word Paul here uses for kindness is a word that means when you're opposed, when you're facing opposition, you move towards that opposition with goodness. Again, Paul says love is patient, love is kind. So look there at the response that Christ gives in Mark chapter 12. So again, we're told in verses 15 to 17 Knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, Why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. And they brought one, and he said to them, Whose image, whose likeness and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. And Jesus said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. Now, the logic of Jesus' argument here is that if this coin stamped with the image and and likeness, the inscription of Caesar, belongs to Caesar, then how much more man stamped with the image, the likeness, the inscription of God, how much more does man belong to the God who created all things? So even in this moment, Jesus is calling these, these unrighteous men to repentance. This is the mark of true love. I wonder, the last time somebody said something you didn't like on Facebook, how did you respond? The, the last time you were at work, maybe at the uh, you know, water cooler and, and, and something happened that you didn't like, what, what was happening in your heart? 
This is the kind of patient love we're called to as Christians. The kind of love that holds up against challenge and opposition and even moves towards your opponent with love. That's the first defining quality that Paul gives us when we consider Christian love. The second is this. Love does not promote self. Love does not envy or boast. Now the word envy here means to be grieved by the success of others. Could you be considered a jealous person? Do you find yourself saying things like, what's she going to do with that big house? She doesn't need all that space. Do you ever find yourself wanting what someone else has? Maybe a, a car or, or a house or a job, maybe even a spouse? This kind of jealous envy is revealing a, a very dark, a very deep sin. If your natural response to someone else's success is frustration, Christian, you need to repent and turn from the sin of coveting. Now, if, if envy means wanting what someone else has, then boasting is the other side of that. The word here refers to uh, someone who is a show-off, someone who loves attention. So maybe you're not envious. Maybe coveting is not your cup of tea. Maybe you're the one with the new job, the new promotion. Maybe you're the one with the big house. But have you received those blessings with humility or are you constantly talking about how much you've accomplished? Friends, boasting is just as bad as envying. The envious person is accusing God of not providing enough, while the boastful person ignores God altogether. One person says, God hasn't given me what I needed. The other person says, I have no need of God. Both of these extremes are sinful self-promotion. And self-promotion kills love. This takes us to our third defining quality. Paul tells us that love is not puffed up. Love moves through the world with a humble view of itself. Love is not puffed up with self-importance. Kids, do you know what happens to a balloon if you keep blowing and blowing and blowing and you never stop? What happens to it? You can call it out if you know. Does it keep getting bigger or does something happen to it? It pops. And, and this is the kind of person that Paul is describing here. Somebody who is so puffed up with air, they're like a balloon that's just filled to the brim. Now, Paul warns us to not be like that person. When talking about Christian love, he says, love is not arrogant or rude. Saints, I wonder if you've ever considered just how often the disciples are found quarreling among themselves about who will be the greatest in the kingdom of God. Apparently, among the apostles, there, were a kind of, there, were, there was a kind of inflated view of self. Here's an example from Mark chapter 10, verses 42 to 45. Mark chapter 10, verse 42 begins like this. If you have your Bible, you can turn there and follow with me. It begins like this. 
So consider that the apostles have now been, been arguing amongst themselves. James and John, they've come to Christ and they've said, give us places of honor on your left and your right-hand side and when you come into your glory. And the other apostles, they hear this. They see this happening behind the scenes and now they're fuming. So let's look at Jesus' response to them. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be, your, must be the slave of all. Christian, look at the, the beautiful way that the Lord grounds this passage in the example of his own life. Look at verse 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus is saying that the kingdom of God is not like any other kingdom. The structure of of God's kingdom is not based on power or eloquence or or self-importance. It's based on humble service. Jesus says, even I didn't come here to be served. I came to serve. How much more his people. Christian love is not self-centered. It's not arrogant. It's also not rude. That's the other phrase Paul uses in this little couplet. Our best definition of someone who is rude is, is a person who acts inappropriately in conduct or speech. This is the kind of person who doesn't consider how their actions or their their words might affect others as they're moving through life. This is the kind of person who's pleased to go through life just knocking people over so that they can get what they want. Christian, never let it be said of you that you lack this Christ-like love because of rudeness. Instead, consider your speech. Consider your conduct. Consider others. If you're an arrogant person, if you're someone given over to an inflated view of self, that's not Christian love. Our love for one another, Paul says, is not arrogant or rude. It's also not self-centered. And this is the fourth defining quality. We're told love does not insist on its own way. Love is not looking out for yourself. Do you feel a constant need to be right? Or are you one of those people who has to have the last word in every single conversation? Do you ever look at a set of circumstances and in the back of your mind you're just wondering, what's in it for me? What can I get out of this? Well, Paul, writing to another church, is is going to give us a full explanation of the the meaning of this phrase. Listen to the depths of selflessness that are described in this passage. Look, if you will, to Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 to 8. Now, Paul, writing to the Philippians, is going to use the life of Christ to describe something beautiful here. So if you've got your Bibles open, start with me at verse 3. Paul begins by saying, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, 
but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Now, just want to pause there. That, that phrase, their own interest, is, is the same wording that's, that's found in our passage, 1 Corinthians 13. So in our passage, it's own way, but in Philippians here, it's own interest. Look at how Paul continues in verse 5. He says, Have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus. It belongs to you already, Christian. He says of Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, this high exalted position, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. This is the kind of selfless love that Christ calls you to, Christian. This is the kind of selfless love that Jesus puts on display in his own life. By no means is Paul telling you to be the atoning sacrifice for another. What he's saying here is is give of your time, give of your energy, give of your resources to serving others. That's what Jesus did. He gave what he had to serve others. Insisting on your own way is not love. In fact, it's the opposite of love. So there Paul is telling us that love is not self-centered. It's also not short-tempered. That's the fifth defining quality if you're following the the love test. How are you doing? Are you keeping score? We're told here that love, it is not irritable or resentful. Now, the word used here for irritable is, is defined as easily angered, someone with a very thin skin. Paul is describing a person who exhibits no control over their emotions. Do people have to walk on eggshells when you're in the room? Are you often described as as crabby or grumpy or grouchy? What do you like in a restaurant when the server forgets something or screws up your order somehow? Of course I'm upset. I ordered a regular and this idiot gave me a double-double. Does that sound like you? Maybe even this morning on the way here? Are you so thin-skinned, Christian, that uh, a wrong coffee order will ruin your entire morning? Well, friend, this kind of anger is not love. This kind of emotional fragility where you're ready to to scrap at the drop of a dime is not Christian love. The Christian way of love looks for peace, not vengeance. It's not short-tempered. It it also doesn't hold a grudge. That's where we get that phrase resentful. It's, It's describing someone who keeps a record of offenses. This, this person keeps a list of everyone and everything that's, that's ever been done to them. Are you the kind of person who forgets your wedding anniversary, but you remember some harsh word, some foolish word of a coworker from five years ago? If that's you, that also is not love. 
Look at what Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8. He says, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Do you want to see a love that covered a multitude of sins? Then look at Jesus. Jesus' love is forgiving. Jesus' love is self-sacrificial. Jesus' love was explicit on that disgusting Roman cross where he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. You ever wonder who Jesus was praying for on that cross? He wasn't praying for himself, clearly. Who do you think he was praying for? Perhaps he was praying for the the Roman guards who were at that very moment gambling for his robes. Perhaps he was praying for the religious leaders who finally got their man. They finally got him right where they wanted him. Perhaps he was praying for the, the crowd who just, you know, the day before were shouting, crucify him, crucify him. Friends, it's evident that Jesus was praying for his enemies. He was showing us a love that covers a multitude of sins. Notice what he didn't say. He didn't say, Father, avenge me. He didn't say, Father, look at what they've done to your son. He said, Father, forgive them. And so I wonder this morning, have you been forgiven by the Father? Have you experienced this this reconciliation with the Father through his Son? You, You can do it now. You can seek forgiveness right here, right now, this instant. God is a God who is pleased to forgive. If you haven't yet turned from your sins and put your your faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ, then do it now, friend. Your love is weak and anemic until you do. You can make all kinds of claims on love. You can claim to love your wife and, and your children and your family, but that love is incomplete until you know the love of God. Turn from your sins. Turn from your sins and ask God to forgive you even now. He is a God who is pleased to save sinners and he will forgive you if you ask him in faith. This this takes us to our last defining quality on the love test. And that is that love hates evil but celebrates the truth. Paul says of this love, it does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. I wonder, what what makes your heart glad? Do you enjoy seeing sin on, on display in others? Perhaps you're not taking part yourself, but you just like seeing it. Are you excited when you hear of violence or strife or disunity? Do you enjoy injustice? Would, would people categorize you as someone who just loves drama? Or do you rejoice with the truth? 
Consider the religious leaders at the foot of the cross, if you will. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew 27, verses 42 and 43. We're actually told there what they were saying as Christ hung on the cross. These are the men who had orchestrated Jesus' crucifixion. And, and look at how they respond as they look up at this innocent man, this man who they know is innocent. Look at how they respond to this man in, in great pain. He saved others. He cannot save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusted in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires him. For he said, I am the Son of God. These were the men who orchestrated a false arrest, a mock trial in a kangaroo court. And, and Jesus is hanging on the cross because of deceit and the betrayal of Judas. And what do these righteous men do? They mock. I hope that's not you. I hope you don't take pleasure in injustice. I hope with the Apostle Paul here that you rejoice with the truth. The truth here is referring to everything that lines up with reality, everything that lines up with God's kingdom. In John's gospel, Jesus will say of himself, I'm sure you know it, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And Paul, as he concludes his letter to the Philippians, in, in chapter 4, verse 8, he says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Christian, these are the things that you ought to be stirred by. Anything that is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, and excellent, anything worthy of praise, these are the things that our minds should, should readily turn to. And so you've got to ask yourself that question. Do I take pleasure in, in watching injustice? Do I take pleasure in watching arguments and fights and, and the suffering of others? Do I rejoice with God's truth. That, that question will begin to help you to examine your own heart. My, my hope is that you've been examining your heart already, that you've, you've taken the love test with me, and perhaps you've, you've found some areas of weakness as you've gone through this love test this morning. Perhaps you've even failed the love test. And if you've failed the love test, then there are two things that you need to do right now. The first thing is to repent. It's to repent of the sin of selfishness. Repent of that awful sin. And the second thing is to remember. Remember that Christ hasn't failed the love test. He passes with flying colors. You could easily take this passage, remove the word love, insert the name Jesus, and nothing changes. 
This passage could easily read, Jesus was patient and kind. Jesus did not envy or boast. Jesus was not arrogant or rude. Jesus did not insist on his own way. Jesus was not irritable or resentful. Jesus did not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoiced in the truth. Is this how you love, Christian? Do you love like Jesus? Now, I've had the the great pleasure of meeting with many of you in this room over the past year. And I've seen your conduct. I've seen your online comments about which churches are open and which churches are closed. I've heard of your struggles. I've sat on, on your couches or at your tables. I've walked with you in parks. I've sat with you on benches. I've wept with some of you. I've laughed with others. And Christian, this morning I'm calling you to this Christ-like love because I know that for many of you it's, it's lacking, it's weak. And I'm calling you this morning to love like Jesus. Will you do it? Husbands, will you turn from your selfishness? Will you die to self and love like Jesus? Christian, will you get out of your comfort zone and will you love your neighbor like Jesus? Will you commit to praying for your opponents and your enemies like Jesus? Now, at the risk of sounding redundant, I want to remind you that the opposite of love is not hate. It's another four-letter word. It's self The opposite of love is not hate, it's selfishness. Jesus had a love that bore all things. Jesus had a love that believed all things, hoped all things, and ultimately he endured all things on your behalf, Christian. He did that for your sake and he offers that power to you in this moment. You can live like this today. Forget what's behind. If you've failed the love test, remember, it's an open book test. Just study God's word and take the love test again. My hope, my desire, my prayer is that this church would be a church that breathes and breeds this kind of love, that by his Holy Spirit, according to the work of Christ, God the Father would work this love so intricately within our church that it would be within our DNA, within our genetic makeup, church. That's my prayer. Lord, make it so. Let's pray and ask him. God of peace, Since you have raised our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of our souls, by the blood of the eternal covenant, would you now equip us with everything good that we may do your will? O Lord, that you would be working in us that which is pleasing in your sight through Jesus Christ our Savior, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.